Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. My name is Matthew, I'll be your host this evening, and as always, I have my two co-hosts, Ryan hey. and Scott. How's it going? And also in studio with us this evening is a very special guest, a good friend of the show, uh, Michael Goodwin. Hello. Known writer for many, many different RPG books. So, uh, Michael, um, why don't you start off by telling just a little, little brief bit about yourself? Who are you? Where you come from? Well, uh, I got into gaming um, back in high school. I sat down my first day of lunch and my freshman year at a table where people were pulling gaming books out. I think there was a uh, one session of a Shadowrun and then a session of Mech Warrior, and then we settled on the uh, Vampire the Masquerade couple sessions. That didn't go anywhere. Finally, and ended up on the West End Games Star Wars. My um, goodness, that was, that was where I lived for for several more years. You got your pip straight, I see. I did. I have buckets and buckets of six sided dice. Still, is still in among my gaming boxes. When men were men and stormtroopers were scary, <laughs> <laughs> and you were very careful with your horse points. Um, yeah. oh, dark side points. They just kept growing and growing as, and growing. As, as, as was the intention. Um, but uh, then I actually got out of gaming. Um, I, you know, pe- people to game with, you know, groups dried up, graduated, moved on, etc. Um, and I was just doing the college thing. And of all the things to get drag, drag me back into it, um, it was a girl. Uh, she uh, was a friend who had... Uh, just realized that a show that she had loved, a terrible, terrible show she had loved, Kindred the Embrace. Uh, had, had, really? What? Are we going to bring that up on this podcast? I know. I, I, uh, that it had existed. She had liked it back in her, her entirely I, she, too young to know better days. Um, and oh my gosh, Michael, it turns out it's based on a game. So of course, what do I do? I go out and I buy a copy of that game that night and I read it that night and I find the official uh, forums for the game and I go out and I do every research and the next two days I had pretty solid handle on Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, I think that game that I ran for her and some others maybe went a month and a half, maybe. I don't know, but it was an excellent reason to get suddenly very quickly back into the field. Um, and uh, in the process of doing that, uh, and all that research to see what, not just what are the books, but what do people say? How do people play? What does the community look like? Um, what are the, what's the overall consensus on these things? Um, so you started looking at the broader scope of it. Oh yeah. I, just I mean, gaming. I'm not, when I, when I looked into the game, I wasn't just seeing it instantly as here's a set of published books. It was, here's a culture. And uh, well, let me see what what does that culture say in its totality about Vampire the Masquerade? Um, and and public opinion. It's I mean that's a now is this? I know this is a very weird. Is like how how cl- 
how internet is this? Like, how much internet was there back then? Was it? I mean, this is this is a third edition. This is a revised um, period of time. Oh, okay. So okay. you know, there's internet. Um, it's, yeah, he did say there was forums. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, this there, is, I go, mostly living. I, it's mostly living on the company's forums and on the White Wolf game forums. I've spent a fair bit of time there myself. And all in all, you know, I've been over there many, many incarnations. Um, but uh, there was one of the sites. Um, that was prominent at the time as a fan site um, was uh, Black Hat Matt, uh, Matt McFarland. Um, and I was drawn and pointed to his essays and what he was doing as a freelancer at the time. Well, as it turned out, he was moving to Georgia, uh, moving to this area uh, right about that point and was going to have a mage game going on looking for players. So I reached out uh, and connected, and we uh, went over, had dinner, and uh, then started gaming with. And he wasn't the first person to hire me um, once he became the Dark Ages developer, um, but he did give me a good recommendation, and my first book that I worked on was the uh, Mummy Player's Guide for Mummy the Resurrection, the first, like, only full supplement for that game. Um, and then having had someone else hire me, Matt felt comfortable actually uh, bringing me on and had, I did work in the Dark Ages line. Um, but through connections of connections, people that were on books and later taken off books and just getting to know folks behind the scenes, uh, I was able to throw my hat in the ring for uh first edition of Bissels, uh for uh, Exalted. And that's was, ended up being the, I think, the second book of mine that actually got published chronologically. But um, definitely the biggest jumping off point as a writer. So, yeah, that uh, that Abyssal's book, I remember reading that with, uh, with glee and uh, terror. Uh, because it was uh, very, 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 uh, you know, well, well put together. Had a lot of really good ideas in it. Um, and uh, so when I when I met you, which <laughs> I believe you were running a Dark Ages vampire game, uh, I was I was a little a uh, little shocked and awed to to put a face to the name. Um, so uh, I suppose that really is what started your love affair with Exalted. Oh well, I mean, being able to. At the point that I was even throwing my hat in the ring for this, all that I had done was play a one-shot session of Exalted as a solar. And I had a, I had a Twilight cast, uh, archaeologist. Mm. And I had a familiar. My familiar's name was, uh, Mimu, which is a Greek word, um, for monkey. And it was, but it was the fourth because, mm. uh, much like Indiana Jones and the monkey and the date and the poison date, um, what are familiars for, if not to spring traps that otherwise would inconvenience and otherwise incapacitate? I, I see you were playing a Twilight cast. I, I was playing a Twilight cast. That's what they're for. Uh, and and for it's it. the, you, you, you're going to have a disposable familiar? That's not how it works. But there it was, and I was I was doing that. And so so that was my introduction, and I'd seen an embarrassingly small amount of anime, but just just enough to know... Of, about the aesthetics of what what they were going for here, and to think that this was going to look very very cool, and to think that uh, um, Vampire Hunter D, Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust were were going to be amazing visual references that are of course mentioned all over the place in the outlines for the books. Um, 
just so that our listeners understand, uh, go over quick. Exalted, uh, White Wolf produ- produ- produced it, published it, and it's basically epic fantasy in the sense of the classical Gilgamesh type epics. Uh, with a veneer and sort of the aesthetics and themes of anime and sort of more Japanese culture. Uh, and that's basically it. And Abyssals being the uh, sort of dark mirror, a reflection, dark anti-heroes, very much, as Michael said, uh, very much Vampire Hunter D and Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. So uh, I guess a little little quick more on, on, on Exalted as a whole for, for everybody around for it. Uh, Exalted thrived as a kitchen sink as just an unabashed shameless kitchen sink of everything um there were dinosaurs there were dinosaurs with lasers there were lasers that maybe made dinosaurs um there (laughs) there there were going to be things that were flying cities and walking titans and walking factories but also uh prayers that folded on themselves in Mobius strips that were impossible to read. But if you did, you'd kind of get a backward tour through time and it would mess you up something fierce. (laughs) Exalted was this setting which said, okay, why not? We can find room for that somewhere. And in the ever expanding map of its world and of its additional realms of existence and so on, just kept flourishing. Um, Onyx Path uh, is the ones who now now publish it, and it just released its third edition. Congratulations to uh, John John Mork uh, uh, and to uh, Holden for that success. Uh, former collaborators of mine. Um, but being able to have that wide space to just go nuts with, to do find a way to work it in, and not worry about the constraints of reality, not worry about the constraints of and this, this is totally what, what the games completely has to be. You know, a game of abyssals or a game heavily featuring abyssals could have this creepy ghost story vibe, this, uh, phantasmagoria to it, uh, and yet be in the same universe as something where, um, you're doing the morality play of, uh, tortured demigod solars. Um, well, you should mention that because that's exactly the game that Scott Matt and I played a few years back where, and those two things ran into each other real hard when the abyssals tried to get up in our Kool-Aid. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's where I spent so many, much, most, much of my writing career, um, in there quite happily, um, as, uh, and then tapering that off just as, as a second edition, um, well, hit its twilight. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but along the way, I got to, I had a, uh, chance to hook in and do some other one-offs. Uh, let's uh, let's go back a little bit before we right, get into sure, that kind of sure, stuff. Sure. Let's uh, let's go talk about. Well, obviously, you started by saying how you got into the business, how you got in as a writer, and it really was for you a personal connection. You met the guy, you talked to the person that was Ariant's kind of on the inside track. Mm-hmm. You impressed him; he was impressed by you, and then you guys kind of worked together. Um, obviously you did your own thing right. because you needed to, you know, cut your teeth on a few projects before you actually like were able to kind of get promoted to a more streamlined, um, position, um, or because they're all contract workers at the time, right? Uh, I mean, yes, it's always, it's always been freelance work, um, paid by, paid by the word. Here's your outline. Here's how many words you're contracted for. Here's what the outline says to do. Basically, I came in at, at three cents a word and, um, by the time I, done a few books and honestly i don't remember by how many uh not many um it climbed up to five and that's where it stayed for the rest okay. of my time that's, that's interesting uh it's it's uh basically though uh, 
the longer I got entrenched and the more I was known to have a sense of vision and for what I brought to the table, uh, the smaller my outlines got. You know, the more, more I could get, okay, here's a couple paragraphs. Michael, go. Um, Build something. Make right. me something that I, right. I want to see. They were, there'd be less need for trying to figure it out ahead of time and more of a sense of, well, you can handle that. My reputation and what I came to do, especially within uh, Exalted, uh, and, and this had been being worked up to in previous game work, was that I'm, I'm best at writing powers for uh, and magic and things systems for uh, various critters. And so by being the person who had done just the sheer most number of those charms, uh, what Exalted called them, um, it just gave me that fluency to be able to know what was in the spectrum of possibility. So in the, we'll get to Scott's question in just a second. Uh, so the general format of sort of writing and all that stuff for as a contract worker, uh, a lot of it is a developer comes in, he has an outline of what he wants to do, they have the idea, and then they contract all the writers for the various section in the book they want written. It's very, this is, while I've been involved in the industry, the vision of what that looks like has shifted pretty dramatically. Um, early on, there would be this central developer with their strong vision, and they write this big, big document that says, this is the Bible of what it looks like, this is how it goes. And they find a team of writers that they are carefully binding to that vision, and they get it off the ground. And, but those people would typically be working in isolation. They would, they would come back with their, uh, their drafts, they would get redlined, and so that developer would serve as that central clearinghouse of how do I make sure it's all going to mesh? How do I make sure that it's all fulfilled my vision? Um, if you if you talk to say someone who seems to be kind of one of the biggest rising stars I know, and not just because he was once one of my uh, people I was privileged enough to mentor, but Neil Price, uh, who uh, was a Scion developer uh, among so many other things. Now his style is to make sure that everybody's in contact with everybody at all of the times. And everything's being discussed as things are being grown. It doesn't, this is not a dictate down. It's a, I've got a vision. I've brought together people who share that sense of what's cool. Let's put this together and then let's make sure that we're taking full advantage of modern technology and oversight to ensure um, a cohesive, a cohesive product. Oh, that's very cool. Um, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Um, or Neil from Breaking Secrets. <laughs> Good secrets. Uh, they are. Um, you mentioned your, your reputation. It just made me think of something else that I'm, I, I think you're, you're rather well known for is your, um, your presence and your interactivity with the fans, especially by the forums. Uh, I mean, I remember back in the day, uh, reading the exalted forums and you were very prolific and very, um, very helpful to people answering, answering and discussing sort of the, the philosophy, the history, uh, about Exalted and the other game lines. Uh, what, what would you have to say about that? Well, first off, I like to chat about stuff that I love. Um, so that finding the central place that says, hey, this is for the product about the thing that you want to talk about. It seems like a good natural place to hang out. Um, but I came in by way of crash coursing through the community by looking into things and was able to find useful content and interesting discussions going on. Sure, there were people saying unpleasant things or inane things, and usually more the latter, <laughs> uh, but there was plenty of good stuff going on, the good things to read. So I felt that if that had been part of my immediate positive experience of grabbing me in, then I wanted to be part of that and paying forward that. Um, 
I also felt like the more that I was in contributing, the more that there was an opportunity to have that conversation. Frankly, there were not a lot of freelancers who were very vocal, um, like I was. And you, you knew some of the people that they were writing for things, but mostly that they didn't talk about stuff or they would talk about the narrow thing that maybe that they had done. Um, to just be chatty, constantly available, um, and weighing in on things, being very clear what I could speak to officially and what I couldn't, never trying to overstep it. Uh, I felt I could bring with courtesy a sense of, hey, let me set a tone for this place. This is what we're like here. Um, this is what this game is about. We, we have fun playing this game. You'll have fun playing this game. Come, we can talk about that. Um, and it, it also was a, an opportunity for me to learn. Like I said, Exalted was a kitchen sink sort of game, but that meant, okay, if we can throw anything in there, what's the next thing we should throw in? Or what particular mix of things did people like? Um, okay, more nuclear chainsaws. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> I want one. Sign me up. So, so yeah, you know, the, the, the sense of where we go from there, uh, what do we put in? Responding, giving fans some of what they want, listening to it, giving shameless fan service. You know, the very last parts of Exalted Second Ed kind of took the form of what the Ink Monkeys done, mm -hmm. the group that I helped start. Um, where we were tasked with making living extra bonus content. Just we were for, from the for, for, for something we were not compensated for, something we were just mm -hmm. doing for the fun of it, but which had the blessing. Um, keeping on growing, keeping on handing back and saying, this is stuff you wanted. This is stuff we talked about. This is stuff maybe we wouldn't have found an opportunity to throw your way. Um, so the ability to hear from fans, that was really critical to it. There was also, though, the ability to speak to the fans to shape that that culture, um, the other direction of it, to say, let me talk about um, experiences that I'm being told, stories I've been told, things, my own experiences running games. Um, as time would go on and I would run an, an actual eight-year-long, uh, eight-and-a-bit-year-long um, Exalted series in, wow. in real time, um, that, that meant that I could we kind of explored most of that map and in some cases written it so that I could then hand it on earth back to the rest of you. And then blew it up. A little uh, bit, and, and blew it up. And then, then that, and then things got weird. Um, but, uh, Oh, they just got weird there. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, exalted things always get weird. But, but it, 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 it meant that, um, there was that, that constant desire to say, Hey, here's some cool things we've had. Here's places that we've taken things. And it wasn't to say, Oh, my game's the best. Here's from it. But, but to not just highlight things that I might have seen, but stuff I've heard someone else over here talking about. So creating like a the, the biggest sandbox, narrative sandbox that you could. Almost like the cheerleaders of the sandbox, of the best parts of the sandbox. To funnel people and say, yeah, there's an infinite number of things, but you know what's really cool? Right oh, over here, there's some really cool stuff going on over here. Um, you know, draw people's attention. I was regularly also using it as a talent scout situation. There are a number of people who were originally on the forums like I was, and I saw them to be intelligent, well-spoken, uh, knowledgeable fans, and was able to help them get writing submissions in and get a shot, uh, in some cases become freelancers, in some cases go on to become developers. Uh, John, uh, Mork, and Holden um, are people that uh, were sort of 
brought in that way. Uh, as I mentioned previously, Zion developer Neil Price is, is another of those. Um, uh, quite, quite a number of others that at least had some contact with. But um, that's just been part of the fun of, uh, of seeing folks bring their passion and bring their talent to it. Um, even though I'm not terribly active right now in don't have any active contracts on the immediate horizon, uh, I, I still definitely keep in touch uh, as much as I can with that community. Cause well, it's always good to keep a sort of a, the, your fingers on the pulse of what's actually going on. On the back also end. cool people, you know, yeah. and they're doing cool things that I, that I enjoy and I'm proud of them for. So Ryan has been extremely patient while, uh, oh, Michael no. talked. I mean, I can, I can listen, I can raise my hand with a nice resting it on my head real nice and easy. So I'm, I'm more than happy to just sit back and listen. So you, you've talked about um, the sandbox nature of Exalted, but mm-hmm. that poses an, a huge design challenge because you have to create mechanics that are either excessively granular or sweet or very, very, very sweeping in which to cover literally. Because by God, if you have a gun that shoots laser chainsaws, how do you adjudicate that? And so... No, and some Twilight made that, and some, you know... Some, for a reason. And they made it for a really good reason, because... You I, know, I promise you, I, I know I want one. Everyone would want one. I mean, that that one Fey, that's how you get him, and, that, <laughs> and you need to get him that way, so you have to make it. And so what would you say was the challenge for the design of something so, like, something so broad? All right, so the first piece is you're never trying to do everything all at once. You're always going to be looking at variations on a theme or what we're playing with a smaller piece of it. So for instance, abyssal magic. I'm now looking at miracles of bloodshed and necromancy and um, everything that is tangentially associated with death, darkness, cold. You know, these are natural ways where you can uh, highlight a dark mirror to the glorious excellence of solars. But if you're looking at Dragon Kings, Dragon Kings are you know, intelligent, pre-human dinosaur people with, with some unusual proprietary elemental magics. They're, 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 they were there before humans came along. They were the original big followers of the Unconquered Sun, the big, big primary deity in the setting. And most of them get wiped out in the big war with the Titans and such and the primordials before, well before the, uh, the setting of the game. So stories about them, stories and, and what's going to go on mechanically with them is, uh, it's going to need to feel antiquated. It's going to need to feel almost obsolete. Um, these are, they're beautiful. They're interesting. Um, they, they're, they do, they do interesting things. But you're finding little mechanical hooks that might say this is less than optimal. This so, is less than perfect. So there's some sac- there might be some sacrifice necessary. Whereas, like for example, our, our aforementioned Twilight can just just hurl a flying guillotine and behead somebody. A Dragon King might need to you know sack some peasants. It it and uh, uh or perhaps in the sense of mechanical bonus that you might get. And you might say we know from looking at a a, a dragon blooded charm. Or um, a lunar charm, kind of what a what a combat buff like this might do, and then the choice of how to resolve that mechanic, doing it in a suboptimal way that says 
no, you know what? This is not cutting edge magic. <laughs> You've right. seen some of that. This Balancing is, it this against is what's come before. What's is come old. before? Mm-hmm. What you, what's gonna? What you know is gonna come ahead. Where um, does it fall on the scale of things? But but it, but to own problems where problems are uh, should be owned. Um, Exalted Second Edition was a great experiment. It was a grand experiment, and we tried just about every mechanic under the sun, and we threw all kinds of things in there that worked. Um, some of it didn't work. Some of it exploded violently when it didn't work. Um, I use sidereal martial arts, I know. And, 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 and then suffered from the fact that there wasn't a very firm hand guiding the same design principles all the way along through. Um, people who in positions of leadership did the best they could, but it was a fragmented voice. Um, and this meant that got an awful lot of things right and came up with an awful lot of very innovative mechanics along the way. But it was way needlessly complex. And it kept snowballing. The more that it was innovated with, the more the potential for interactions for further exponential growth. So, I mean, eventually it crumbled into being something that was an unmanageable mess, basically. Uh, once you plugged in all of the errata, I mean, the errata kind of ended up coming out to being lar- larger than some of the books. Um, uh, yes, I remember seeing that document. Yeah, and uh, uh, so, yeah. so it's, it's, it, there's that, there's a notion that says it's great to have fun playing with the mechanics and fiddling with it and being a tinker. Um, and I've definitely been uh, known to be a good tinker uh, with that stuff. But there's, I've also come to learn along the way the benefits of a more streamlined, uh, unified design, something that has a little more modularity and power, power built into it, something that can have uh, coherent language without, say, the, the, all of the exception edge cases that you would if then then statements yeah, and everything. A lot exceptions yeah, like being English language. <laughs> yeah, exceptions being the you know. Where, where, you know, streamlined nature just completely dies and, you know, and, and those edge cases being where like abuse starts maybe cropping up or just right. willful misunderstanding of the rules. So, so as, as long as you're willing to say, all right, today we're playing with, um, uh, antiquated, uh, obsolete saurians, okay? Then we're going to do with things that look like that. And then we're going to go poke, poke our head over here and we're going to say, but over in this city, we have, um, ancient robots and libraries. Do you like robots and libraries? That's, that's all we have. Um, and, oh, and crystals. <laughs> robots, libraries, and crystals. Uh, it, 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 there it is. There's a completely different set of, uh, aesthetics to work with, uh, and things to go on. Um, I think as a, to learn about game stuff, uh, I, I tip my hat to mutants and masterminds, um, especially with each successive, uh, edition. Yep. Know, to say here's an engine that can do anything basically uh, and we've broken down pretty much any sort of possible effect into something here is component elements that you can assemble in some ways some more elegantly sometimes less elegantly but you can assemble this to make pretty much any power of anything anywhere is it still a system of static values re- relied upon by a single d20 or is that an old edition no, that's that's the current edition, as far as I understand, of Mutants and Masterminds, where everything is modular, point-based after that point. So anything that modifies that D20 is based around what kind of points you spend where. Right, okay, because that, that was it the last time I checked in on it, like 10 years ago. Yeah. 
in any case, uh, just the what continues to improve is their notion of breaking down possibilities of things and then lumping like general effects together to say, well, hmm, whether this comes from being sick or being uh, lovesick, we can probably condense down into what's actually happening to you and then how do we tag it. Uh, so a lot of valuable design uh, that I've looked at over over years. Um, my uh, the other I think big lesson in design um, that uh, came out of sandboxes, but also out of looking at visions in in microscope, uh, the bezels. You know, it lends itself to gothic horror. It lends itself to stories of doom and and uh, grand sagas of that of uh, futility, um, very uh, Elric <laughs> kinds of tales. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the original outline for that book had spelled out a very very bleak vision that established that an abyssal could not be a hero. They really couldn't. That that if they chose to try to defy that, if they chose to act like heroes, the curse inside them would well out. And it would scourge the world, and it would do evil. Uh, the evil is just going to happen, or you're going to be deliberate instrument of it. Period. But the only way to not be a force of destruction and evil, in some level, was to seek redemption and become a solar. And the way they framed it there was, you had to basically take your character sheet and cut it in half, um, and, and lose every, you know half your stuff uh, at the to to make that transition. Um, so it was, it was intended to be a pretty, very harsh statement about how far into the black you know, you, you uh, were, um, how much you were far, how how difficult it was going to be to you to do anything meaningful positive. Well, the system that was originally going to be going into the book for that first edition for resonance for their curses um, they, was a. Uh, it came in and it used this 30 point track. It was a, honestly, it was a big mess. It was somewhat incoherent. And here I am, first time writer on the line, and I decide I'm going to do something heinously, arrogantly uh, ballsy. And I just go ahead and I write up a new resonance system right there over the next two days. And I shoot it in and I say, I know you didn't hire me for this. I know this wasn't part of my part of the book, but I've seen what the other thing was. And I don't think that it does what you're looking for. Here it is. And so what you have in first edition, Abyssals, was a this was thrown together in two days, um, hmm. okay. going, oh god, oh god, that kid, that I, the thirty point track, no, no, this does not work. Um, and uh, I am, it, it was really a hasty effort. I think it, I'm, I'm glad it accomplished as much as it did, and I think that that move was part of what got my reputation as a. Uh, here, Michael can save this. Um, uh, go, go do something wild with it. Fortune favors the bold, as uh-huh. they say. But that could have very easily backfired in me. So I'm not recommending the strategy as a general move. move don't, my... don't always go for the for the uh, throat on that sort of thing. Um, but you know, the the fact was, I wasn't asking for anything. I I just was trying to help give it the best it could look. So when I went in second edition for Abyssals, I I decided. I'm going to see it happen finally. I'm going to make it so that that what that first edition outline, that sense of true futility in it, that it, that'll be carried through. And my favorite 
game, the only role-playing game that I own a physical copy of every book of is Wraith, uh, the Oblivion, um, mm. yeah, of course. Oh, I'm sure we'll get into that at uh, some later podcast. Uh, uh, everyone bring tissues and, uh, yeah. I'll bring Shattered Dice. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you, you know what? The audience cannot see the look of horror that's now. His brow is so furrowed. Right. It's amazing. Wraith? I always my 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 view on Wraith is that Wraith is much less a game than it is a psychological experiment <laughs> that you that you run on your friends, um, and maybe you're not friends at the end of that experiment, but you both would have learned something. I promise. In, in any case, you know I, what I think I've heard said of Wraith, and it's sadly there's a little more truth in this than I would have liked, um, even though less than than some people claim, and that is that it's a uh, uh, the most amazing, brilliant, beautiful game that you can't play. Um, and, but the thing is, when you really strip down and, and if we do some future Wraith thing, ugh, I could talk for hours on just that alone. Um, fair enough. Uh, uh, I'll put that on the docket. But, uh, but Wraith, Wraith struggled from sometimes just not being fun. Oh, that's, that, that's <laughs> true. Pardon, you know, I mean, that's, that's put it mildly, but it, 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 in the goal of setting up a situation that says, this sucks. Things are bad for you. They will only get worse from you. You could be forged into eternal screaming alloy. You could be dragged down and eaten alive by your inner dark thoughts. So uh, with with it, uh, it struggled for being fun. Um, and um, when it came to doing Abyssals, I was so fixated on trying to get the ideological purity that when I made their second edition curses, I finally succeeded mechanically at something that said, no, in fact, uh, you will be a bad, uh, or you will be a force of, of death on the world, or a force of death will reach out from you and will blight the world, period, and a full stop. And by making it set up that way, um, it ensured people that they were locked down into, you can play a villain, you can play a, um, a, a dark antihero. That's pretty much your only options. What I didn't count on, was uh how many people actually genuinely wanted to play the heroic abyssal wanted to play mm. i'm the drizzed character <laughs> i i would like to be the special snowflake um who's the anti abyssal and the one good hero. guy in a very evil world right or i'm the one bad i'm, I'm the bad person that we all need you yeah. know or whatever that that there were so many people who wanted that experience and i was sitting there and i was telling them no you don't get to have that experience because artistically we've said that's not our, what fits our portrait of what an abyssal looks like. It was a little humbling um, to say, you know, what might be the strongest artistic choice that might make for a strong statement for media doesn't necessarily mean the strongest, best statement to make for a game that's trying to appeal to a broad cross-section of of gamers people really really like redemption arcs they love them and and, and oh, it's I, instant instant narrative it's instant catharsis yeah, yeah yeah i thought that that would be sufficient i thought okay they've got passive redemption they can walk that gauntlet of it it's going to be challenging anybody who wants that story it's there it is completely laid out for them the thing is that they're what they people actually a lot of them wanted and what i wasn't grasping until years later was no, no, I don't want to be redeemed. I, I really like being a bad boy, Abyssal. I, I just would like to be one of the good guys. I'd like to be a, a Abyssal who's so good at being an Abyssal, I don't wreck the world completely. 
I wreck it in my own way. Or, or I'm, you know, it's just the, I'm going to be a bad person to bad. I'm going to be the bad bad guy to bad people, but I'm going to do it in a way that keeps my my ledger up here. It you keeps know, it, it keeps the right. character. I think if I can interject, please. Maybe it keeps the character sympathetic, like very relatable, very sympathetic, mm-hmm. but is wielding dark power to do so. Exactly. You know the the, the uh, I, and and it, it's it's ironic. You know, who, sh- shouldn't I of all people have been able to look back and say, "Ooh, it's it is robed in the uh, the trappings of darkness." How 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 very mighty and uh, uh, outcast and misunderstood it is. I, mean, I always saw those concepts flourish uh, in in like so like one of the ideas was you know you're a hero for the ghosts like mm-hmm. the denizens of the underworld. Yep. You are their yep. hero. Yep. Uh, or you know you are you are the sword against the wild. You know what am I? That actually <laughs> sword against the wild. That came about. That was a great thing that emerged for entirely all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> so there was a there was a forum poster who was not being as civil with me as I was would have liked for him to be, and it was just all wild this, wild that, just championing wild everything and come on to every conversation and talk about basically, and this is why the white world is more important and significant to this thing and off topic. Mm. And it just kept bugging the crap out of me. So here I am, I'm sitting here writing abyssals and I'm thinking, Oh, you know what? Abyssals are going to mess up changelings. They're going to mess up Faye. That was not in the outline. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> oh, uh, and next thing you know, they've got, you know, uh, charms to make, weapons be like iron cold iron you've got this whole thing and it, and it all stemmed from one person another person that was a forum dweller that just managed to get under my skin a little bit i you know that I, might- I, I have a little bit of regrets for that in the sense as i said totally the wrong reason ended up with a result i was pretty happy with but, yeah you know it might now, be fueled by spite but it was a cool idea but <laughs> and, and it ended up being something that i'm sure like some people base it like five-year campaigns around like taming the wild and oh like, absolutely and and the thing was is it, it, it in, in the end um uh, he thought it was one of the cooler things ever because it was getting he was just getting straight attention to it and <laughs> um, so uh, he really didn't care what you did with the wild he just wanted you to put a camera on it right yes apparently even if that camera was you know horrible shades of gray shot at a bad angle and cold, cold iron just raining down on them I'm glad he had a very broad picture of it it's like uh-huh. it doesn't matter what happens but you know how, how very Raksha right yeah. really? it doesn't matter what the story is yeah. Yeah. I it. it's not hard to hate the Fae I mean I, I remember doing something really bad to one of Matthew's characters in my game involving the Raksha guys it, if you guys haven't understood uh, whenever Scott runs a game for me he just loves to make me hate him I should Everything also, he does. I should also add that I've been the uh, ST for both you know, these yep, folks over yes, here. Yes. Um, you know, it, one of the things that I how I got connected to to y'all is uh, I uh, went to Kennesaw State University for my undergrad in '98, um, uh, and then uh, I never left. Um, I I have my bachelor's from there. I have my master's from there. It's the only place that I've ever worked. I'm an administrator there now, and the assistant director for academic integrity. Well, part of that time, there was a club on campus um, that was called, uh, known as SWORD, uh, Student for students who occasionally roll, roll dice, yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, so I was sought out uh, to see if I would be the advisor for SWORD, uh, largely as I actually knew what they were doing, um, cared about what they were doing, and might actually support them in doing it. So I came in, and first it was, right, can you sign this this uh, uh, or, or, or organization registration form and also these books? Um, <laughs> and, and I did. Uh, and a 
relationship is born. And then I end up getting talked into guest starring at a Dark Ages LARP that is run by that group uh, at the time called Mandate of Power. And of all things, I come in and my, my, my debut thing is to be this horrible otherworldly spirit that was pretending to be the ghost of uh, Matt's just suddenly dead PC. Yeah, uh, I was... Salt uh, in the wound. I was uh, Severio. I was uh, playing uh, with La Sabra Abyssal stuff. Uh, and so, so we think it ate me. The guy who wrote, wrote Abyss Mysticism as a discipline, probably might, might, why not just give him free reign to play with that and cause havoc for our plot for a little bit. So I just got turned loose with that. And, um, and then it was very clear I wasn't trying to be Severio. I was something that was masquerading as. Right. Uh, and uh and then you know continuing to cause trouble by 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 encouraging others uh other lasombro along the way and <laughs> all manner of other things but but even as i was just coming into cameo as a guest star um uh and maybe to chaperone well then suddenly i'm being asked questions and yes in fact i did write those rules so i suppose i am the person you should be asking questions of <laughs> and then I'm adjudicating some things, and the next thing I know it, I'm an ST. I'm one of the STs. And then the person who's in charge of it decides that he's going to go off and join the military. And uh, suddenly it's, well, would you mind just taking over this period? Having slowly been eased into that, uh, uh, it was a natural transition rather than being dumped immediately into the boiling oil that running a LARP is, yes, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, th- th- this Man of Power has, has uh, it's a game that ran for a really long time. Um, like, like I said, Michael ran it for a while. Our friend Randy ran it for a while. And I ran it for a while. And I uh, ran it for a while. ran it for a while. Uh, like, we, it, it passed hands a lot. It's very, very much like a comic book, you know, oh, yeah. it passes from, from creator to creator. Very, very much so. But it was, uh, I mean, it was sort of the thing that, that uh, introduced uh, three-fourths of the room, essentially. Yes. So we, so it, 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 with doing that mandate of power, it, uh, I still had the opportunity then still connected a little bit to dark ages, some of the early bits and was able to work some stuff back in. But, uh, mostly everything buys on the long tail of where my involvement in that, that line was mostly over. Um, so we've been talking for, we got on a tangent and we sure. were talking about exalted. Oh, imagine that. We get on tangents. Yeah. So. <laughs> That happens around here. Yeah, this is an Exalted heavy uh, episode, guys. So if you don't know what Exalted is... Don't worry, I have plenty more to say that's about not Exalted, so don't worry. Yeah, well, actually, that's what I was going to get. Before we want to wrap up Exalted, that's a a big chunk of your life, so that's definitely something we need to talk about. We Uh have talked about it. So let me ask this last question about Exalted before we move on to other stuff. The Golden Shovel? Uh, well, no, actually, that was going to be later. I oh, promise. okay. I promise. Ah. Um, of all the things you've written and things you've been a part of in Exalted, what, what is your fondest thing? Oh my, uh, that's easy. Um, I, I had a lot of great fun times with different corners at that setting. And as I said, I was mostly known as a person who did charm sets, who would create magic systems for various types of critters. Uh, but the infernal exalted, the infernal exalted mm. were my, my mad greed babies, as I call them. Many fist pumps in the room just now. Uh, <laughs> they're, they, and then suddenly silence. They were basically the exalted I made for myself. You know, the way I would want to make an exalt, exalted there. You, I can point you to all the things that were training wheels, getting me up to that point. But this notion of exalted who took 
different pieces of ideas and uh, associated baggage, powers that would change you, curse you some, or just make you different. And the more you layered on, onto them, uh, on yourself, the weirder, weirder you got. So they had this strong transhumanist vibe. But since you had these different um, broad palettes of Titan to play with, oh, I'm going to have a little bit of psychotic murder wind that likes to laugh silently. Hmm, okay, well, um, and I'll, I'll take a heaping helping of um, radioactive autist. Yes, we'll go with that. And um, I personally love radioactive autist spec. Oh, I, yeah. I find it's a dom strat. He would agree with you. And here, why don't we also add in a bit of uh, cosmological malevolence? Just, oh, yeah. Sh- good Shadow Dragon Satan is probably my be- my favorite. It's appropriate, of course, that the only primordial that I ever got any real stats was Evan Dragon, and that I would be the one to do that. Um, cause, you know, that's, I won't say he's my baby. Uh, he, he was there before I was there, but definitely had a heavy role in, uh, shaping that as a, as one of the more nihilistic and un, more than nihilistic, more outright malevolent, malignant mm-hmm. forces. He certainly was one uh, of the more defining personalities. But, it, but, it, but, it, but really to sum up, Infernals was a chance to use the charms themselves to be able to tell a story. And it was kind of like having the refrigerator poem magnets. And you could take these things and only you could throw a handful of them at there and suddenly you had superpowers. And maybe that involved locusts and uh, you can eat them. But they're also possibly poisonous. And perhaps you should watch out if there's a desert nearby. You know, and that's a thing. Uh, you, know, you, you, you could throw these different elements of ur mythology and ways of being and you could say make me something that is a composite of this and then tell me the story of what it is to be that thing up until then exalted were with a little bit of exception of without chemicals exalted were mostly about and this is the things they do this is this is what it they, they solars do gloriously solars do the largest of large deeds Lunars do things, and they do things through um, intuition. Lunars, lunars accomplish um, uh, unthinkably vast deeds. Uh, Sidereals do weird stuff, and they do unthinkably weird things. And they, when the world needs for unthinkably weird to be done, and dragon blooded are accomplish, hero, accomplishing heroic things because the world needs heroism, and not just all heroism needs to be the epic um, top tier kind. But infernals are defined by what they are, by the being. They're more of a adject- the adjectives than they are verbs um, to their powers. Uh, here, let me tell you, I have gained this quality. I have gained this quality. I've gained this quality. And now because I am all of these things, this is how I am different. This is how I see the world different. I think that there is... Infinite- they are their perspectives? Perceptions? They are their say. perceptions. They are their limitations. They are um, always sacrificing they're always changing they're always, they're, you don't just get to be the human who is tacked on with some flavor of cosmic power it's you by the time that you are seeing yourself through that warped lens through all of the chinks and cracks along the way you're not looking at something that's in in the standard span of human i'm very fascinated by transhumanism it's a big theme through all of the stuff i've ever worked on 
Um, so they were just sort of my most blatant go-tos of saying, Hey, let's, let's run there. Let's, let's, let's go sideways. Very cool. That's very interesting. And, um, I know, uh, you're currently not working on anything in Exalted and, uh, other people have taken up the banner as it were. Indeed. Um, and we wish them all the best of luck on that. Absolutely. But we're here to talk about you and your experiences <laughs> now exalted's over yes um so let's what Things you started that... working on after exalted and what you learned from it okay well um you know uh, somewhere in the midst of there i should add that i did a, a one book of uh mage the awakening um where i got to do uh some legacies um uh, one left-handed one uh they, they were honestly just a shameless way for me to take the stuff that I'd gotten from that mage game that I was playing under Matt McFarland and uh, find ways to stick, make a legacy for my old PC. And, um, um, uh, but, and then I had a, a chance with Orpheus to sort of, you know, like he said, dance in Wraith's grave for, for just a little bit respectfully. Um, and yay, there's a Wraith 20 coming out. Oh, and with Rich Dansky yay. involved and Neil Price doing the conversion work with Orpheus. Oh, such good, amazing things are coming down your way. Um, and, uh, yeah, then, but then I kind of ended up coming full circle. Um, and that is my first book that I ever did was, uh, the mommy player's guide for mommy, the resurrection back in the old world of darkness, um, during the year of the scarab. Um, it was like 99, 98, 99. I don't know. One of somewhere, somewhere around there. there. Yeah. Cause it was towards the later, later part of the line in white wolf. Right. Something. Anyhow. Um, I, I, uh, and that was under Colin Silliman was my developer. Um, and there would not be another full supplement for that book, although it would get a slice in out of time of judgment. And mm-hmm. I got to help blow that world up. Uh, um, what as an well. interesting book that was. It was a, it was a, it was a fun book to be part of. Yeah. Um, you helped blow up Exalted too. I've yeah. blown up a lot of the worlds that I've been part of. This is, we met, let's gloss on this one. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, but anyhow, Mummy the Curse um, is a, a what we called New World of Darkness, what we're now, of course, calling Chronicles of Darkness Great. line. And one of the youngest of them, not uh, one of the younger ones, I should say, anyway, um, I guess Beast and uh, a younger Demon. Well, I believe, uh, actually, I think the nomenclature is White Wolf, they still have the uh, World of Darkness, because White it's Wolf... What, is, it's World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. Chronicles yeah. is all the all the New World, New Wad stuff. Yes. Yes, okay. and, this is Mom, sure and Mommy, okay. Mrs. Mummy the Curse is okay. a line, is it. a line for that, as opposed to. I but, got confused, but it was also one being developed by Colin Solomon, um, and so kind of coming back full circle to the person who was my first first hired me. Mummy the Curse, in part, uh, came out of a conversation he and I had had years ago about what might we do if we had the luxury of doing a mummy game in the um, in the New World of Darkness, uh, and. Uh, Big thing that I suggest was how important it might be for there to be memory, for, for it to be that, that aspect of them, the, the waning, forgetting of who they are. Um, and that ended up being true in a thoroughly defining way, um, in the game that ended up growing as a result. Uh, once again, I had a really, really heavy hand in the mechanics of the game. I designed pretty much almost all of the powers that have ever been done for it. Um, the lion's share of the mechanics generally and had input on uh, even just coming up with the very structure of how powers were going to operate you know, hmm. that, that didn't exist. I have actually got to inject a question real quick. Um, you've talked a lot about mechanics. I mean, 
so is that where you think your primary, your strength lies is what you want to do? Or do you do a lot more just setting and sort of like uh, filling out of what's going on in the game? Okay. Uh, great question. Um, I have done fiction, opening fiction and, inter- and interlude fiction. I have done uh, basic game text, setting text, um, and I've done lots of mechanics text. The fact is the number of writers who can do solid mechanical text, uh, especially lots of it, well, um, that's a smaller subset of writers. And once you get identified as someone who can do that, that's pretty much where you get pigeonholed. Um, because you can't afford to use someone who's a good system writer for stuff that's not systems. Um, occasionally I'd get thrown a bone and I'd get a little piece of something here or there that I particularly wanted. But realistically, it was, okay, we're bringing you here because um, uh, any number of people could write good setting material. We need you to do this. Um, that meant there were times I did not get to do some of the kinds of writing that I would have loved to do. Not that I didn't enjoy uh, the opportunities I had, uh, just I knew where my gifts lay. Um, I can do other kinds of writing. I've done, I feel, pretty high-quality work in some of those other kinds of writing. Um, perhaps in the future I will have opportunities to showcase more of that. Um, no, Bummy Curse is wrapped up um, at this point. You know, whatever's going to go on with it for first edition well, uh, uh, fingers crossed at some point there'll be a second edition. No, no telling what extent I would be involved or, or, or not to it. But I think it's a game that's got some longevity, if you will pardon the pun. <laughs> um, but uh, m- a lot of my work these days, besides just consulting for other people um, and answering their questions and helping folks with their homebrews, is uh, I had been creating my own game universe. Um, yes, I know. Uh, called, called Grimwatch. Um, and it's kind of a Hellboy-esque, uh, world of horror, supernatural superhero. Um, yeah. Uh, Very much so. It's, it's, it basically takes a lot of the, the logic of Infernals and says, okay, now if that was the only operative logic we had to the magic going on, if there's no version of anything that has supernatural power that is not changed and in most ways messed up by that experience in some capacity. Um, and so putting a darker spin, a tainted spin on uh, various superpowers, uh, something that would actually try to preserve those horror elements. Uh, it Grimwatch's design and its engine, and it's had actually multiple builds that have made progress on them. I think I'm on build number four um, overall, but progress is really stalled um, as uh, other factors in my other my professional career have um, moved forward. Uh, I'm doing more and more on that level to take leadership on a global stage uh, in the field of academic integrity and uh, doesn't quite leave the amount of spare time that I once had. No, but we wish you the best of luck and oh, all of that. Thanks. Oh, for sure, um, yeah. But um, I... I I def- I've been tinkering and building on the side um, with uh, both Grimwatch as a modern setting, a uh, space opera, far future ver- version of it um, called uh, Hyperchasm, um, and um, a, a, a few other potential spinoffs within the cluster of that of that property. Uh, I think um, 
one of the other odd spinoff connections to it was uh, the Bob and Carl sci-fi janitors uh, hmm. puppet show. Um, of the Dragon Con fame. Yes, which is, uh, you know, gone into its own hiatus, but, you know, they're, those characters live on as a part of the notion of um, the people having to be the janitors cleaning up after crazy, insane, comic-y, sci-fi, God knows what, um, that there was, you had to preserve some of that ambulance humor and uh, dark humor quality to keep the horror actually moving along and interesting. So um, I will occasionally tinker with things um, uh, on, on that as, a, as an idea strikes me. Uh, at some point, I may be able to set aside some time and buckle down and, and really do something with it. Um, I have just applied for a PhD program, um, and if I get into that, then uh, come January, I know where all of my writing time will be going for the next probably five years or so. Um, so, as it does. Yep. As, as it does. But, uh, you know, Dr. Goodwin has a nice sound to it. So uh, Yes, yes, it does. Uh, that, that dread dragon academia. Yes, indeed. But he'll wrestle it to the ground. This uh, is yeah. Michael Goodwin. And Finish it where I failed. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I think I'll always be connected to the hobby. I think I'll always be fascinated by the developments that I'm seeing going on in the industry and hearing the cool things that people I knew back when they were just fans getting into it uh, are now doing to move in shape that industry. Um, you know, I can look at people like Elo Asanta for Third Eye Games, or I know I keep bringing him up at Neil Price over atop of Scion. Um, you, you see people who have taken to heart how deeply they've loved these games and how much that they see themselves as stewards for bringing them forward into the next generation of it. Um, even if you look at the latest and exalted third edition, uh, you see a system where the creators recognized, hmm, we had this problem where combats could sometimes come back to a, a, a simple binary of either you're, you have the resources needed to use your perfect defense that will stop whatever the attack is, or you don't, and in which case that attack is going to just cut through and destroy you. And, and so, the, they called it perfect turtling um, mm-hmm. as a, being a problem. And there were various ways to try to make it less of a problem narratively and you know, some things, some strategies more successful than others. But in third edition, perfect turtling is taken out of the equation by having this uh, innovative way of uh, things damaging your initiative until such time as it pushes you off balance to the moment that an actual meaningful blow can be struck. So, you know, you see people who are in charge of these games now who are saying, I loved how things play. I loved how they felt. And I want to somehow capture or preserve or expand that feeling um, for this new audience. All right. That's very interesting. And that keeps us up to date on your current situation. Is that right? More or less. Um, I, I think the most recent thing was... Uh, tinkering with a, a fan who's been trying to build a, 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 some improvements on a Demon the Fallen or uh, Devil's Due style uh, rule system. And um, just over the last week or so, basically sort of hashed out to where we have a complete core engine for it. Um, so, Very cool. You know, you little know. things like this happen every so often with me <laughs> in conversations with people. Um, there'll be a tangent, and then several days later, there's you know, half of a 
supplement. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe not that's all that been written. Maybe that I've been written entirely too much of. Um, the other thing, though, it, it, I would be remiss to say this since I, I've been so public about it in my, uh, my persona and, and uh, uh, forum facing. Um, now, I am someone who wrestles with mental health issues. I'm bipolar one, and I've had some very intense bipolar episodes over the course of my life. And I channeled a lot of my madness and a lot of my, uh, particularly my mania, my, my hypermania, into my writing. Now, during Abyssal Second Edition, toward the end, with with drafts being late, um, I kept pushing, and I'd push without sleeping, without eating without taking care of myself. I tanked my immune system. I was at a point where I was literally throwing up blood and then, then would crawl back to the keyboard to type some more abyssals. Um, and so, you know, enjoy your fucking abyssal game, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible amount of self care for, you know, and I'm in thankfully a wonderfully much better self, a better place. Um, I'm, I'm in honestly some of the sanest I've ever been happiest I've ever do you, been. Do you find that being sane hurt your writing? It meant that without mania, um, to be my going forward, my rocket booster, um, I had to learn to be more disciplined. I couldn't rely on just having that surge, so I would have to set aside time and do it. I- I'm still just as creative. I'm can still clever, hopefully. I still have the overall ingredients, but I had to generate that motive force myself instead of having it come from a need to explode out onto the page. I only ask that because uh, you're not the first person who I've spoken to who has said, like, I wrote my first three game systems on a really, really bad breakup. Or, like, in right. my case, like, I've only ever written, I, I, I have written a good bit of fiction, but it was only when I was mortally depressed, you know? Right. It's like, and that just sort of flitted away when that when that issue sort of resolved itself. It, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's different now. Um, and I definitely approach things with a little bit less of a fiercely nihilistic veneer that um, might be, but would be one of the defining elements of earlier in my career. Um, I'm a happier person in a happier place in my life. Um, that's reflected in what I have to say uh, in fiction as well as reality. Um, but I'm also still the guy who's really excited by seeing all sorts of terrible, twisty, dark ways things can go. Um, I'm always looking at it and going, ooh, yes, that's a thing. How about we say yes and? Ooh, yes, but. Yes, we do an and and a but. Yep, yes, let's do that. Um, and that that's an interesting uh, segue, uh, taking things uh, less in the more of the, the writing aspect of your career. Now, you mentioned you had an eight-year Exalted game. You mentioned the, the LARPs that you were involved with. Um, let's talk about Michael Goodwin, the GM. <laughs> All right. So like I said, Star Wars West End Games um, was pretty much the bulk of my uh, uh, high school gaming. Um, and, but I should, I should have you know that this will tell you wonders about how I needed to be in the game writing to game mastering it. But I, 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 I mentioned I started with a one session of Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. And there's a discussion with tangents, as one could imagine, um, from a group of high school gamers. And lo and behold, having finished this conversation and been reading some novels for it, I come back and I've written up uh, game complete stats for the pre- to do the Predators uh, in, in, in a Shadowrun setting, um, in Shadowrun rules. Uh, I, I had figured them out to that point. And, and he's like, this is, this is fun, and I can't use this right now in this game. You're strange. 
make another character. Um, and then we move past Shadowrun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up with Mazer canon variants for the, after one session of Mech Warrior. If there's just this need to say, no, make more stuff. Um, <laughs> poke at it. Uh, or you see a design space that just begs for something right. and you just can't ignore that. I, right. Uh, I, I see, see room to expand on something. Um, I can't help myself. And, uh, I was not the great, I won't say I was a very great, good GM. Um, I was just very tangential, uh, tangent bouncy, um, and as a high, in high school, but it was a great opportunity to practice the world building and to think fast in world building, which would become sort of my hallmark. Um, then when I would come back, you know, after a year or something off, uh, and a bit off from gaming and then come back in college, and the focus was suddenly on the White Wolf stuff, it was on the, the horror side of things, the, the presumably more mature um, side of gaming. Giant air quotes, mature. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I was going to put giant air quotes about it, uh, presumably, but that'll work too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, in any case, it, it I didn't, I didn't really find my stride. I did a few one shots of different variations. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do at first. And then when Matt McFarland's Mage game um, ran uh, uh, finished and this was a uh, that was by the way old mage mage the uh, ascension. Ascension, um, yeah. Then um then we decided we we're going to do exalted game and I thought well I'll I'll offer it to run. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, <laughs> I accepted that I knew that Exalted looked like a cool sandbox that had room to, to do things in. And I knew that I have a sense of scale and a mythic sense of scale. You know, I'm half Greek. I was raised on mythology uh, very early on. My great, great, great grandfather was one of the foremen on Schleiman's Dig of Troy. And, you know, uh, to this day, I, 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 I remember touching a piece of Trojan gold bequeathed to the family and thanks for helping the excavation and stuff. Damn. You no, know, my mother's been on a dig and, and there are these connections that says that mythology always felt more real to me than just mythology. I won't say as real as history, but more moored perhaps than it might be for some people. It wasn't just on the literary, literary side of things. So it was I, definitely a part of your life. Yes, and and I, other mythologies I, I grabbed books on throughout uh, growing up. Um, the uh, I, I I wish I could remember these. I can picture it in my mind's eye, but there was a a particular book of Norse mythology um, that I uh, Dallards or something like that. I, I, I'd have to find it somewhere, but it was it's wonderful, wonderful introduction um, for any any age level. Um, hits a wide range of the stories, but. It, the striking artwork done in, in the particular style uh, that was reflective of, of uh, the cultural artworks. And having that sense of mythology meant that I wanted to tell big stories, grand stories, stories that weren't just about what people were doing, but what would be the significance of it and how would that be part of an Ur story that would be being told over and over again, um, that would become part of the conversation of a, of a history or culture of people. And so we started relatively small enough with here's our newly re returned solars, um, trying to f find their way in a 
you know, waning age, um, second age, you know, the, the, the default setting mm-hmm. of these all to gay. The world that hates and um, fears them. And then everything starting to go off the rails piece by piece. That's, that was what the game was, was a, was a steady progression of finding new ways for things to go off the rails. Uh, I'm a firm believer in saying one of the things that Exalted did so well was to say, hey, you're the protagonists. You're the, the shaping of the narrative. It's not that there aren't other power players out there, because there need to be for your interesting narrative and competition and rivals and enemies. But you matter. You're not just uh, a neonate vampire nobody um, where the old gods or blood gods or of the ancients are rising and if they wake up and they're hungry, you're snack. That's it. Um, <laughs> this is the extent of your possible uh, apocalyptic story. Now, with Exalted, there were going to be power cords going on in the backgrounds uh, mm-hmm. while people were running through the teeth of the hurricane. Yes, those would actually be teeth. It would be a hurricane with teeth. Um, why? Because why not? Uh, that 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 allows for just a shameless, cheeky. Okay, let's go with that. And it, it's also really deceptive because if you're looking and saying, okay, you've got a lot of power, so just wish fulfillment of give me, I, I want things done, and then they happen. That that's only entertaining. You know, you only sit there and play a game on God mode so long before you're. It's boring. Right. Okay. Now what do I do? I've tried everything. Right. But if if instead you say, I'm going to give you. I'm going to allow you to accomplish most of the things that you set your heart out to doing. And the more you invest in trying to make that happen, the more I will try to make some way for you to get to say, yes, you got what you wanted. But I don't, I don't promise you're going to like it. Um, I don't promise you're going to be thrilled about it. Um, what I am going to do, however, is I'm going to make sure that when all is said and done, you own responsibility for this terrible pit that you find yourself in. Uh, and this is what we call a the golden shovel. The principle of the golden shovel, yes. Um, in which I was wondering when we were going to get there. Here, yeah. here, here is this shiny, beautiful, gold encrusted, or golden, uh, jewel encrusted shovel. Wouldn't you like to dig with it? Why, yes, you can in fact pump as many moats as you like into that excellency as many times as you like. However, perhaps altering the social social strata of this city might not be the best way to go about it without causing horrible famine or, you know, just... And, and the notion that says, uh, let's look at the ripple effects. Let's say if you're big enough to have world-shaping consequences, then you're big enough to have world-shaping fallout, um, secondary consequences, tertiary consequences. And for that to be part of that overall mixture, frothing mixture with the things going on by other important characters. Um, I wanted it... To, I did not go into my sessions as, as, as time went on, I would go from having planned uh, a few hours of gate before each game, um, track down what's the name of the important characters that lived in this area. Um, maybe, maybe a couple sentences on them might, might stata one or two things out that I might actually plan to resolve right there. But as time would go on less and less, and less of, of, of that. And it became knowing my setting. Knowing it as a living, breathing place, knowing those people, knowing how everybody could react to it, knowing the players, most of all. It lived in your head. It lived in my head. And it was came to be where I would come to session, and maybe I would not have even thought about game since the last one. But there I am, ready to go. And 
maybe I'm making up something completely um, unexpected and new to it. Um, I've, I've done that. There have been times it would be a pause for a moment, okay, and five minutes later, here, let me introduce a new major plot element that might transform things. You know, the game went eight, eight, and a, a little more than eight years. Only one player was the same from the start to the end. I had players move away and drop out. I had one die. Um, I had people added on. Um, in, in the end, that became part of the story itself, uh, about the continuity of a purpose and the continuity of a renaissance moment, um, instead of just being about this is the saga of these particular heroes. Um, how big did that table end up being, like, at its maximum capacity? Like, how many players were there at any given time at most? Yes. There was a maximum of six players. That's about right. Yeah. It, things uh, get real unwieldy. I, 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 <laughs> I learned very quickly that um, my preference is for, for player size uh, for, any, for running games is going to be three to five with a sweet spot of four to five uh, for me. I feel like I like to have enough where I can split the party and still have two people you know, to do in, in each block mm-hmm. um, so that there's room for interaction. And also, just... you can really learn people's deal like at that, like, you know, every player's deal very, yeah. very well. And, and you that, know their capability. Absolutely. And that's the thing is for me, I play the players. That's my game. I like to get to know what it is that about makes my players tick. What do they look, what they picked these avatars for a reason. They picked something that they want and that they don't feel like they have in their life and they want to play out as if they did. Or there's something that they like about themselves and they want to draw attention to that element they like about themselves or they wish they could go farther with it. There's a story there. And it's not just the story of this character and what stories that character can tell. There's a story of what into making that character be why the character they chose to play. And in understanding that story, in understanding what it is they want to tell, um, what it is, what are, you're also saying... What are the stories they're wanting to tell about themselves? And as you go deeper into that, you start looking into where, how am I crafting moments that are going to allow people to have the, that, that level of fulfillment? Um, one of the players that I, uh, one of my best players I've ever had, um, uh, I think I feel comfortable saying this, Josh Lee, um, he, he was, uh, I met him in Shakespeare class back in college and I, I remember having seen him in full drow makeup from in uh, a dragon con and uh, turned out he was a big abyssals fan. And so suddenly, Oh yeah, I wrote that thing. and A friendship was made. Um, but with Josh, I learned uh, people would speak of like, I would Josh proof mechanics because if there was a way to break the thing and have it go horribly askance in her eye and twisted out from every possible conceivable hope of what was intended, he would find a way to do it. This is great. I needed somebody to kick the tires like that. What great QA. I know, I know. But but he, he never did it in a way that would actually break the game. He would only do it in a way that would just unleash whole new realms of plot onto the game. Um, and much to the consternation of others and the suffering of all the PCs involved. <laughs> um, I have bore witness to several of these occasions. And, and been the uh, brunt, direct brunt of them on a few, no less. Josh! <sighs> But Josh, when he first came in, Josh was accustomed to playing paladins and very brutish barbarian characters, very direct. Um, when he first came into my game, the, the, I had him guest starring as a NPC, as the lead villain for, for one of the stories. Um, this is very, I think in the second year of the game. Hmm. 
And as time went on, uh, when there became an opening, I brought him in um, to fill that opening. And he stayed on, as, of course, as a central player as long as he was still living um, in the area and we were gaming regularly. But Josh developed a scheming subtlety <laughs> over time that wasn't there. And it part of what happened was giving him a chance through his characters to see the benefits of being able to play the social game, of being able to be take a longer view, um, a subtler view, um, to come at things from many different angles. Uh, it actually shaped Josh as a person to continue to play that character and be that character for so many years and to have that character grow in the way the character grew for all those years. So that's my entertainment a lot of times around the gaming table is what journey am I going to help my players take um, that is not me being you know, secret mastermind behind the scenes saying, I will sculpt their life. It's me looking and saying, I'm a steward here. They've told me about the stories they want to tell if I'm listening. And now how am I going to help them tell those stories? And how am I going to help them tell and become those stories uh, along the way? So I'd like to thank you for saying that because uh, one of the philosophies I know I personally hold of gaming is that gaming role-playing can be very much a vehicle for positive development in a person's life. They can develop their personalities, they can develop their idiosyncrasies. Ah, oh man, I butchered that and I apologize. They can develop who they are and who they want to be. And I think that is remarkable. And it's a takes a talented masterclass person to do that well. One of the best, I mean, it's social skills. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's training wheels for social skills. Um, and I think it's incredibly valuable. Uh, it's where you learn that maybe no, you can't just say whatever you want. <laughs> it's one of those first times where maybe, you know, being a, not having the the greatest of social graces may get your ass stomped into the ground. Or that natural 20 on that charisma check there might mean you're suddenly engaged to a creature that you might not have intended to be engaged to. Hmm. Uh, Luna is capricious sometimes. Now you have to deal with marriage. Indeed. I, I know you're 18 years old, but we're going to deal with marriage now. <laughs> so I, I, I think uh, this notion of um, playing a story that means something is, uh, is something that really resonates very strongly for me. Um, and I've tried throughout the work that I did to often put in little stories or little bits of wisdom that I had to embed in some rule or some spell or some charm or whatever. Um, I, and I'm asked, since I've done so many thousands of charms for Exalted, sometimes what my favorite one was. And it's uh, one I, I slipped. It's a solar charm, but I slipped it into the second edition of Bissell's book, which was You Can Be More. Mm. Um, and um, it's, a, a, of course, a line that I cribbed from Farscape. Um, uh, but uh, the, the core of it was you could reach over and you could touch somebody who was just an extra. And in doing so, you, they would get a, a heroic motivation and a sense of purpose. And down, now they're not an extra. Now they're a heroic character. And you just took somebody and you literally said, you don't matter, now you matter. And not because I've given you a new task, not because I've programmed you into this, just because as a facilitator for greatness, I have established to you, you can be more, and now you are. Where, where you go with that is up to you. you know, I think that that's the metaphor for at its absolute best what we can be doing as storytellers, as game masters, as gamers, as game creators. Um, to be 
finding venues for people to grow themselves, um, to rise above. Uh, I definitely second all of that. Um, unfortunately, we are running a little bit late, um, but we want to thank Michael Goodwin for spending this hour with us talking about his life, his writing career, his philosophy. And, uh, and so, um, uh, again, thank you very much. Welcome. I actually, I have, uh, you know, one, one little quote thing here I was going to end sure. with. Go right ahead. This was, um, something I had a fan recently reach out to me talking to me about, you know, her, her experience, um, playing through Exalted and what things meant. And I am, give me a sec here. So, uh, this was, uh, something I received from a, a fan, uh, named Tess, who was telling me about what what it was that my work mattered, why, what she valued out of it. And uh, this is uh, what she had to say. It is, I think, the golden thread that connects humanity. We've been telling stories since before we lived in caves, and I say that with degrees in history and sociology. That golden thread was thankfully threaded through you, to your protégés, to me, and now it burns brightly around 8 p.m. on Thursday nights in the eyes of my niece. So when I hear stories Damn. like that, <laughs> that's strong. Yeah, I gotta say I was glad to be uh, reading that on screen and not in person, where I'm all weepy-eyed. But uh, but to be in a position like that, um, to know that I'm having great fortune to help provide stories for people to tell like that. And I, and when after she's done saying this, and I'm done blubbering enough that I could think to type coherently, I'm asking, well, why why my work? What what is it about my things that Valued is because you teach her how to be brave. And if I can be part of making art that does a sliver of that for anybody, then that's a win. The fact that I got along the way where people paid me some money to do that and I got to have and meet all the cool people that I along the way that I did doing that, I, I just feel like I'm the one who lucked out on the adventure here. Mm. Um, and so all I'm doing is just paying it forward. Well, Michael, you, you've given me a gift greater than anything that I could ever ask for and the ability to really, really piss Matt off. I pissed Matt off so badly <laughs> with the mechanics you've written. I've made him very displeased with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Secretly, my heart grew three times that day, though. I was very, very proud. Uh, but we got to wrap it up. We're running late. so Maybe uh, some other session in future we might, like, we might dive into a particular section of kinds of game mechanics or philosophy sure, or something. Absolutely. Oh, I have, uh, if, you're always welcome to come back into the studio and record with us. I, anytime have, you I want. have questions about why martial arts so much. <laughs> Whoa, uh, oh. and, and I think that's for another day. All right. All right. Yes. Thanks but, all. Uh, again, thank you. Good. Uh, Michael. Uh, thank you very much for being on here. And if you have questions for me, uh, Scott, Ryan, or Michael, um, you can go to polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter. I am at BioImportance. I am at DivaSmallCav. I am at Arduous, R-J-U-O-U-S. You have arms. Uh, I might have arms. Right. I, I, it might be a little, uh, little scandalous to say. Oh, I hope people get that. Oh, please, someone out there get that. And if you got that, either send us by email or leave us a review on iTunes denoting that you got that joke. But also, in addition, um, if you really like the show and you really want to see it grow, then head over to patreon.com slash polyhedron, where one, two, five dollars will go a long way into supporting this show.
So uh, for everyone here, uh, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice.